But first, let's just go into to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dig in the scripture. Ah, my Lord, my God, oh Lord, bless this time, Lord God, Holy Spirit, go and illuminate. God, illuminate your word, Lord. Bring us the truth about fasting, God, this discipline that you have given us to draw our hearts closer and nearer to you, Lord. Oh, God, just illuminate your word, your scriptures, God, as you've been doing to me uh, throughout the week, Lord God, and just filling my heart and setting me on fire with truth, Lord. I pray that you feed the souls today of this body, God, with your truth. Feed the souls with your wisdom, your word, Lord. Oh, God, feed our hungry souls for more of you. This is our hope and our desire today. In your son Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, right? We have been looking at the model prayer. We've been digging into that. Last week, we finished the model prayer, amen, right? We spent some time there going through uh, the prayer. And today, we're going to look at a different topic. Verse 16, we're going to look at fasting. We're going to look at Jesus' comments on fasting. But before we get there, I just want to just bring out this observation that I, that I noticed in chapter 6, Jesus goes over some spiritual practices. Um, how, many are, how many people are familiar with the term spiritual disciplines? You heard that before, right? Spiritual disciplines. And, and often when it comes to spiritual, I just realized we're missing Claudia today. <laughs> uh, when it comes to spiritual disciplines, the, the three that I most often hear are a spiritual discipline is prayer. You need to pray. Uh, I hear we, we, should, uh, we should fast. And um, we should read our scripture. Those are three of the, the spiritual disciplines that, I've, that I commonly hear. But I was just noticing how in chapter 6, the pious acts are the spiritual disciplines that Jesus brings up. It's one he shows us or he teaches us about prayer. And we see that in verse 5. He teaches us about prayer and how to pray and what we've been looking at. And he teaches us about, uh, uh, what's the other word, prayer. And he teaches us about fasting, which we're going to look at today in verse 16. But I, it just dawned on me how in chapter 6, verse 2, he adds giving to the list of the spiritual discipline. And, and I just I just never looked at giving. I know it's something that we must do. It's something that we should do as believers. But I think that's part of the discipline of being a believer. We have to be givers because this is one of the things that Jesus brings up in his top three here. Maybe this is what was one of the pious acts that was really being abused, so he brings it up. But it's just, just odd that in between, you know, fasting and prayer, he speaks on giving to the poor and helping others. So giving has to be a major part of our life. We have to add that to our spiritual discipline. Yes, we want to pray. Yes, we want to read the scriptures. But we have to be givers, so we have to be willing to meet those. And particularly here, he's talking about... Uh, giving alms and helping the poor. So that has to be a part of our, our Christian life. So that's just something that just dawned on me as I was reading that, that it would just be right there that he's addressing giving. He wants his disciples to give and he expects his disciples to give. So we have to, that has to be a part of our life. So now our, our main text, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. I'm going to read it and we'll come back. This is Jesus. He says, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, talking about the disciple, talking about his followers, but you, you're different. But when you fast, he says, anoint your head, wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Will reward you. Huh. So Jesus starts off this text by saying, Whenever you fast, which means that Jesus is making the assumption that his disciples are going to continue to fast. That we, his disciples, are going to continue to fast. This tells us that this is good. He says that God is actually going to see it in secret and he's going to reward it. So that means that this is a pleasing practice to God. God's going to reward this thing. It's not just something that we just do, but it says that the father who sees your fasting, he sees this act of what you're doing, that the father is going to reward you for it. 
And when I, when I look at that text, any other text we have in here, like with giving, how the Father's going to reward us for that, or praying, to me, it seems like God has given all participation trophies. You know what participation trophies are, right? In sports, when you, I don't know if you have a kid, whether you go 0 and 16 and lose every game, or you go 16 and 0, everybody gets a trophy. And they call that participation, participation trophies. Just for doing the act, going to practice, and doing it, you are getting a trophy. You are getting a reward. And so when I'm looking at this text, I'm like, God, you're just trying to get, figure out any way to just love us and give us reward. You're giving us reward for the act of going and fasting. It's like, it's like you're giving us reward for going and praying to you. The, you're, there's reward in, in, in giving to the poor. You're going to reward. I'm like, it's like God has just said, I just want to love you. Just do this act. And I'm, I'm going to reward you for that. And so it's just like God is just showing ways. Or Christ is just showing us ways how the Father so loves us that he's just going to give us rewards for things that, man, Father, you, why are you going to reward me for this? This is about you, but. The Father just loves us, and that's what it shows us, that God is just any little thing. He's like, I'm going to reward you for that. There's, there's treasures in heaven in it for you for that. Your, your works are going to follow you. This, this is going to be rewarded. So we see here that Father is rewarding this act of, of fasting. Now, this, this, the, the origins of fasting, it's, it's really unclear. Um, we, we don't have much, much evidences or much historical documentation on fasting when it first started or, or how it all came about. But at least from the scriptures, we know that historically the Jews, uh, they have interpreted Leviticus 16 verses 29 to 31 as the command to fast. If you want to turn with me there, I'm, I'm going to turn there. So it's Leviticus 16. Verses 29 through 31. This is talking about the Day of Atonement, which is also known as Yom Kippur. Jews to this day, on the Day of Atonement, my coworker, she's Jewish, and she prepares. They fast on Yom Kippur. They're fasting. They're abstaining from food. And they get this from verse 29 to 31. And as you'll see when we read it, the verse doesn't actually mention the word fasting. Fasting is not there, but I'll show you why they believe this is fasting and why I agree with them. In verse 29, chapter 16 of Leviticus, this is the atonement. He says, this shall be a permanent statue for you in the seventh month on the 10th day of the month. You shall humble. It's the key word. You shall humble your souls and not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. The key word in, was that in verse 29 was that you shall humble your souls. That word humble your souls is why the Jews believe that that is speaking about fasting. Or he believes that they believe that that word humble your soul is speaking to fasting. And they believe that based on verses like this. I want to show you some. Keep your hand there. Look at Psalms 35 verse 13. Psalms 35, I told you you're going to use your Bible a lot. Psalms 35, verse 13. Look what David says here. Here in Psalms 35, verse 13, David is talking about his enemies when his enemies get sick. And he says he puts on sackcloth, which is what you would do to, to express that you're mourning. And look what he says in verse 13. He says, but as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. And look what he says. I humbled what? My soul with fasting, just like what it said in Leviticus. So fasting was a way to humble the soul. It was a way to bring your soul down, to bring you low. And so it's from that verse in Leviticus why Jews today fast on the Day of Atonement. Because they say this tells us we ought to humble our soul. And so the ways that we humble our soul or bring our souls low is by engaging in fasting. That's what David says as well. He said he humbled his soul through fasting. Now, I want you to think about this, the Leviticus 16. It's Yom Kippur. It's the, it's the day of atonement. It's the, this is the day that the high priest, he's going to go into the holy of holies. He's going to make a sacrifice He's going to carry in the blood for all of the, for the sins that you have done in the past year. 
So this is, that's what Yom Kippur is. That is what this Leviticus 16 is talking about. It's the day that the priest is going in, he's going to carry in the blood, and he's going to make sacrifice for your sins that you have done. Now, imagine this scenario, okay? Imagine this. It's Yom Kippur, it's the Day of Atonement. Just put yourself in this mindset. You are a, a Jewish person in the, in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement. Imagine that, you, imagine that you had a great year, right? Let's say you had a great year, meaning your crops were growing. You got, I think they call it bumper crops. Is that what they call it when you have a lot of crops? Any farmers? Am I right? Okay. So you have a, a bumper crop. Your, your crops are just growing. Your, your livestock, they're making other livestock babies. And so now you're, you're just growing. All of your wealth is growing. Not only that, let's, let's say your, your, your family is doing well. They're thriving. Your kids, your son, your daughter. And now it's the Day of Atonement. You're really not thinking about your sins that you've done throughout the year because life is really good for you. You're really not thinking about some of the stuff you're done. You, you've done. You're, you're kind of high on a, on, a, on a hog, if you will. You're feeling good. You have that, that I just got paid feeling. You, you know that I just got paid feeling, right? When, when you get your check, it's, the, it's that payday, and you got money in your pocket. You feel like I can go buy whatever. It's like, kids, let's go. Let's wife. We hit moves and dinner. So you got this good feeling. But what fasting does, it puts a pin inside of that balloon of yours. And it brings you down and focuses your soul and your attention on the sins that you have done. And it brings you down and focus your soul on the high priest who's about to walk into the holies of holies to make atonement for your sins. See, that's what the fasting does. Fasting should humble us. And that's why it's, it's good for us to fast, to have fasting as a common practice, to bring ourselves down. Because we can live in this great American life and have so much going on, so many good things happening, where we can kind of forget the, the things that are really important. So fasting can become a way to humble your soul, to bring you back. Fasting is like a recalibration to humble your souls and, and to get your mind and your attention to focus on God, to bring it back to where it should be. See, what, what you must understand here in the Day of Atonement, this was their good news, if you want to speak in those terms. This was good news for them because they had sinned throughout the year. Now the high priest was going to go in and make atonement for their sin. So this was, this was their good news. So their fasting was to bring them low. It was to make them humble and to focus on this news, this good, this good thing that was going to be happening to them by the priest going into the Holy of Holies and, and atoning for their sin. So that was a good thing. That was their good news. But guess what, my brothers and sisters? We have even greater good news than they have. Our good news is the gospel. See, the high priest would go in year after year and make atonement for their sins, and they would constantly have to do it. Why? Because the blood of a bull and goat, Hebrew tells us, it could never take away sins. It can never fully cleanse them. It would never fully cleanse their conscience. After they, the priest had gone in and made atonement, guess what? They still had sin problem they had to deal with the next day. That had to be atoned again a year after year. So that, that blood never fully wiped away their sin it covered their sin and that blood never really changed their conscience and never really changed their life but the blood of jesus hebrew tells us in hebrews 10 14 by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified meaning jesus the one sacrifice his blood has eternally cleansed you there's no year after year sacrifice you are cleansed you are considered holy in god's sight because his blood covers you that is our good news. That is what we want to focus on in the midst of our fasting, bringing our hearts low, bringing our spirits low to focus on God and his good news. That is what fasting should do for us. That's what it was doing for the Old Testament saints. They were focusing on the priest. We're focusing on the good news of the gospel. So fasting becomes this way to lower us down, recalibrate our minds, humble our souls, and bring our hearts back to where it should be, which is on God and his Christ. So that's one aspect of how people fasted in the Old Testament. Now, think about fasting. Fasting is really, it's, it's this mysterious event. Because think about it. You are, it's, it's this very mythical event, if you want to say, because you are abstaining from this natural material food, hamburger, whatever you want to call it. You said, I'm going to abstain from this food that I can touch and hold in my hand. 
And somehow abstaining from that food that I can hold in my hand, it is now impacting my immaterial soul and affecting my spiritual life. That is a mystery. That is a mystery how me just abstaining from this food, this, this material thing, it's now somehow impacting or influencing my immaterial soul and spiritual life. See, see, fasting is this, it's, it's this mysterious thing. It's something that you, we just can't fully, you can't logically lay this thing out how it all works, but it, it does. One of the verses to me that really shows how mysterious this event is, is Psalm 69 verse 10. If you look here, particularly in two translations, it's the NASB and the Young's Literal Translation. I want to read to this verse for you real quick. In the NASB, in Young's Little Translation, it translates Psalm 69, verse 10, this way. He says, when I wept in my soul with fasting. That's what he's saying. I wept in my soul with fasting. So here, fasting it's, it's, it's being used to increase the mourning and chastise the soul. It's, it's increasing the soul in mourning so it can focus on the issue that's being dealt with here. It's this mysterious man, me just abstaining from this food, this burger, is now influencing my soul and producing a mourning that's happening in the soul. See, fasting is really this mysterious event. It's something that we, we, we just can't really get, can't fully put our hands around. But Jesus tells us it's good. He assumes his disciples are going to continue to do it. So it's something that we should do. So it's this mysterious event. The other thing that fasting is or what it does, fasting makes way for the soul to feast on true bread. Fasting makes way for the soul to feast on true bread. An, an example of this would be John and, and John 4. We looked at this a little uh, while ago when we were going through the the prayer. How we ask God to give us this day our daily bread. We looked at it then. But in John 4, you have Jesus. Remember, this is Jesus with the woman at the well. And, and remember, Jesus is walking with his disciples. And his disciples have gone to the market to buy food. Right? That's what, I'm just kind of giving you a summary of what's happening here. So here, let me get there real quick. John chapter 4. I didn't, I didn't give you the verse, but we can, uh, we're going to look at verse 31 going down. So John chapter four. So Jesus disciples, they've gone to the market to buy food, right? Which tells us that they're saying, okay, Jesus, we're hungry. So their stomachs are probably growling and, and whatever, and they're about to go get something to eat. And here's the thing we must understand. The disciples were Talmudines. Remember, that's the Hebrew for disciple, right? And a Talmudine followed his rabbi. And whatever the rabbi did, that's what, that's what they did. So when the rabbi ate, that's when they ate. When the rabbi went to the bathroom, we looked at, um, if you guys remember a couple of months ago, that's when they went to the bathroom. So Jesus, so none of the disciples, including Jesus, had ate. And they're hungry, which tells me Jesus may have been hungry, right? Because they're all, their stomachs are growling, they're walking, they go to the market, they come back. They're eating on their, their, their first century bread. They're, they're munching on their, their bread and they tell Jesus to eat, which we see in John 4 31. Meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But Jesus says, I have food to eat that you do know not, that you know not about. And he tells them that my food, the thing that I'm munching on, it's not some material bread. It's something else. He says, this food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. Now, Jesus ate food, right? He ate food. He drank bread while he was living here on earth. But in this instance, while it doesn't say fasting, he was abstaining from food and he was being fed by a different source. He said his food at this time, it was to do the will of God. So there was something else happening. There was something else feeding his soul, keeping him going because the disciples were hungry. They ate when Jesus ate, but yet Jesus has been sustained by this other source. It's the will of God. And that again shows us the mystery surrounding fasting. It's this soul that is being fed. It's something in our soul that eats, that allows us to keep going and keep moving. Even though we haven't had physical bread, our soul is being fed. Another place we see this mystery it's in the First Testament or the Old Testament. 
at Mount Sinai with Moses. Exodus 34, verse 28. Did you want to go there with me? Exodus 34, verse 28. This is Moses. Moses is on a mountain with the Lord. Remember, he had already broke the tablet, so now he has some more. God's going to write the law. He's going to give him the commandments. So Moses is up there in the presence of God. God is going to write and give him truth. And look what verse 28 says about Moses. It says, so he was there with the Lord, look, 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water and wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So he's out there 40 days and 40 nights, no food, no water, in the presence of God. Now, science tells us that most people can go at most a week without water before they die. And on average, it's three to four days a person can go without water and they will die. Moses goes 40 days and 40 nights without food or drink. What is sustaining Moses? God is sustaining Moses. It could be just by being in God's presence that he's being sustained. Or this other thought, it could be that the word that God is giving him, because God is up there with Moses and he's just dropping truth all on Moses. Truth is just raining down on Moses. All the wisdom, all the true things of life, it's just raining down on Moses. So it could be that that truth that God was just raining down on Moses, like Jesus, is just feeding his soul and keeping him going. Hence Psalm 119. Let me show you this. Psalms 119, 103. The psalmist says this, he says, how sweet are your words to my taste? Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. For your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. So understand this, the same law or the same precept that God was dropping on Moses at Mount Sinai, those commandments, the words, the truth, that same law that same law was given to Israel and it was given to this psalmist. And this psalmist is now saying that that same law that was given to Moses that he now has, he said, it is sweet in my mouth like honey. He's describing this word of God. He said, it is sweet to my taste like honey. It's, it's sweeter than that. So he's describing this word that Moses was receiving that he now has. He's describing it as a food source that it's feeding him. It, it tastes good. It tastes good in his mouth. And we know he's not talking about his physical mouth that he's eating God's word, but he's talking about the, the soul. That is the thing that is being fed. That is the thing where God's word is tasting good. It's inside of his soul. He's tasting God's word and it's feeding him. It's keeping him. It's, it tastes good. So that's the, that's the word of God. Another place where we see God's word described in a food-like manner is in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3. So if you want to go there with me to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3. We see God's word described. Or his commandments described in a food-like manner or something to be consumed, to be eaten. Not with the physical mouth, but with the soul, if you will. That's what's being fed here. So Ezekiel. Chapter 3, this is at the beginning, Ezekiel, he gets this vision, he see, he gets this vision of God, and, and as Ezekiel is sitting there, you'll see in verse 9, he says this, this is chapter 2, we're going to come down to 3, but in chapter 2, verse 9, look what Ezekiel says here, he says, Then I looked, and behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in it. So he has this vision of God, now there's a scroll that's presented right there, he says, when he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and the back and written on it were lamentations, mourning and woes. So we got this scroll and there's, there's words written on the scroll in the front and the back, right? This is hand that's right there in Ezekiel's face. Look what happens in chapter three, verse one. Then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. Look what Ezekiel says. So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. 
He said to me, son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll, which I'm giving you. Then I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. He ate the words that came from God, not literally. Remember, he sees his vision. He has his hand, but it's like he's gobbling his soul. He's just gobbling the word of God. He's gobbling God's commandments, even though they're lamentations and mourning. He said the words taste sweet in my stomach, not his natural stomach. But there's something happening in the inner person, in the spirit, in the soul that is being fed with God. So we see, again, this mysterious thing that happens with the soul. When we begin to fast and abstain from the natural food, it opens up our, our, our soul to begin to feast on the things of God. Another place we see this, I'm going to just give it to you, is, is Jeremiah 15, 16. Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah chapter 15, 16. He says, your words were found. Your words were found. And he says, I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. Again, we see God's word described in a food-like manner to feed and satisfy the soul, to sustain you, to go, to live on. That is the source he's feeding on here in, in Jeremiah in the New Testament, we see this example with John chapter 6, verse 51. Some of us know this. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats up this bread, he will live forever. What is he talking about? Himself. He'll be fed. His soul will be fed. His inner person will be fed as we look to Jesus, believe in him, eating off of God, if you will. He said, that is the thing that's going to feed you. and You will live forever. It's the word of God. It's God himself. That is what sustains the soul when we enter into fasting, when we humble ourselves and abstain from the natural food. It opens up our soul to really just feast on the things of God. And that's why fasting is so important. Another last place, John 10, 9. We see Jesus saying that I am the door. And he says, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Here, Jesus is using a sheep illustration. He's using a sheep illustration. Uh, imagine you have sheep and they're in a pen. I don't know if it's called a pen where they put sheep, but let's just call it a pen. Imagine you have sheep and they're in a pen and there's a door. Inside of this pen, they are protected because there's a fence there where nobody can just get in. That's what that's, that's what that's uh, hinting to how God is our protector. And when you open that door of the pen, the sheep can now go out led by their shepherd and begin to eat pasture. He said that's why they will go in and out and find pasture. What is pasture? Pasture is food. It's what you eat on. So Jesus leads us to that spiritual food. He leads us to true doctrine. He leads us to true peace. He leads us to true life and we begin to feast on his word and it begins to feed our soul that's why he says i'm leading you in and out the pastorship you can have life now i'm going to lead you to food that's going to fulfill your soul so the word of god is a food source for the soul and when we choose to fast particularly for the purposes of getting closer to god by turning away from food we open our souls to be fed with that spiritual food so we fast to get closer to the lord to humble our souls and to feast on god spiritual see this fasting thing is this it's, it's, it's really this this spiritual thing i think about when i go to the mission when i go to the mission i often tell the people that i'm speaking to uh, i say there are spiritual problems and there are physical problems the problem in this life is we're often trying to solve spiritual problems with physical means and that's that's why we stay in our certain situations because the problem that we're having is not physical but it's really spiritual but you're trying to solve it with natural means when it's really a spiritual problem it's, it's kind of like this imagine how would i say it um imagine you have an a for a while right you have an a for a while and at least me when i have an a for a while i'm starving you go home yes you're cranky thank you i <laughs> wow <laughs> okay, I'm going to just leave that alone. All right. <laughs> so, so imagine you're hungry, right? And, and, and you go home and 
you just go home and when I when I'm hungry, I just eat whatever I see. I don't care if it's fruit snacks, if it's Oreo cookies, if it's if it's cookies and cream, ice cream, if it's chips, if it's just whatever. I see it, I'm going to demolish it. Why? Because I'm hungry. And guess what? When I'm eating that food, guess what? It is tasting good going down, right? I'm hungry, I'm starving, so those Oreos, those Oreos taste like, man, that's the stuff right there, right? I'm munching. Why? Because I'm hungry. So I'm, I'm eating this food and it's tasting good and it's tasting good going down. But after a while, all that junk, it just, it leaves you with a belly ache. Or five or 10 minutes later, you are still hungry. And that is this problem with our society. People's souls are hungry. See, their, their souls are hungry. They, they, they need truth, but they're going for whatever they can get their hands on. And that's why drugs and alcohol become so popular because drugs is like the equivalent of a, of a microwave hot pocket, right? You get that little microwave hot pocket in two minutes, it's done. You can eat it and satisfy you, but it doesn't do any good to you. It still leaves you hungry. It still leaves you longing. Why? Because your soul can't eat that food. Your soul was meant to feast on God to feast on truth but when we don't feast on God we feast on anything else that we can find and it leads us in the same situation see people's souls are hungry for truth and they don't even know it it's it's hungry their souls were made for God and they, they're just looking for anything else but it's it's God that their soul was meant to feast on it's the truth of God's word it's the thing that Jesus gave that is what their souls were meant to chew on but we chew on other things and that is why the souls stay messed up. Our souls can't eat on drugs. Our souls can't eat on lust. Our, our souls can't eat on materialism. Our soul, that doesn't satisfy the craving. That doesn't satisfy the thirst of the, the soul. The soul longs for God, for the things of God. It's kind of like, a, uh, as I was typing this, I was thinking about my goldfish. Our dead goldfish, by the way. <laughs> And how with goldfish, I don't feed goldfish human food. I don't feed my goldfish steak or chicken. What do you feed the goldfish? You feed the goldfish specialty goldfish food, they call it. And that's the same thing with the soul. You, swing the soul, you, you feed the soul specialty food, which is the word of God, which is truth. That's the only thing that's going to satisfy the soul. That's it. Our soul needs God. Now, another reason people have historically throughout the scriptures fasted was to ask for God's favor or protection. That's another reason people fast, to ask for God's favor or protection. Uh, I think of Ezra. In Ezra chapter 8, if you want to go there with me, we can go there. Nobody wants to go to Ezra, huh? <laughs> All right, I'm going to go here. I'm going to just go there. I'm going to go there for you guys. Let me give you some background here with Ezra. So Ezra was in Babylon. The king is allowing Ezra and a bunch of exiles to go back to Jerusalem. So, so Ezra and the exiles are preparing to head to Jerusalem. They got all their kids. They got their wealth, whatever they have. They got their clothing. They got their food. And they're preparing to go to Jerusalem. And so Ezra says this. They're assembled at this river, at the river Ahava. Ezra says this in Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. He says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves. Remember what fasting does? It humbles the soul. It brings you low. It brings your attention. It recalibrates you to look at God. So Ezra said there, uh, we, we proclaim the fast at the river, one to humble ourselves before our God. He says, to seek him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. So you see why he's fasting here. Ezra, they realize, see, you got to understand, doing this period, if you're finna walk in the woods with, with money and wealth and kids, you got robbers out there looking to just take everything from you. Ezra realizes that this is a dangerous journey. I'm about to take my family on, my little ones on. So he said, all right, y'all, we finna get a fast in. We're about to fast right now. We're about to abstain from food and humble ourselves. And we're about to now seek God's face because we need his hand. We need his protection on, on where we are about to go. So he's now fasting here is used to seek God's favor or his protection when it comes to danger. We find the same thing happened with Esther. 
Remember Esther? In Esther uh, chapter 4, verse 6, we see the same thing. Esther is going to go before the king because she hears of the evil plan to destroy all the Jews. And nobody can go to the king unsummoned. So Esther is about to put her life on the line to go speak for her people. And Ezra tells the Jews, all of her people, she tells them to fast for three days and three nights for her. She says, fast for three days and three nights for me. Why? Because she needs courage because she's about to go for the king. She wants God's favor because she knows that that king with one word could take her life. So she's saying, y'all, do not eat food, do not drink for three days and three nights and fast for me. Remember, fasting involves prayer. Pray for me that I will go to the king and be successful, basically, is what she's getting at. So here we see fasting is used to call on God's favor, to ask for his favor, to ask for his protection in, in an event. Another place we see this worked out is in Second Chronicles chapter 20 with King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat, he sees this large army coming towards him. He realizes he doesn't have the power and the might to destroy this army. So what does King Jehoshaphat do in Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse 3? Jehoshaphat says this, or the text says this, Jehoshaphat was afraid, he's scared, and he turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. See what's happening here. He realized he doesn't have the might. He doesn't have the strength to go against his army. And so he said, let's proclaim a fast and let's seek God's face because we need God to intervene in this difficult circumstance that I'm in. I need God's protection because I realize I cannot do this on my own. So fasting now is being aided or as being an aid to seek God's face and his protection. So that's how fasting looks. And in a practical sense, in our 2008 sense, imagine you have a job interview. You're scared out your mind. You do yourself well to go and fast and seek God's favor, to ask for courage, to ask for confidence, to go about this job. Or you, you have maybe a, an assignment or maybe a presentation or you have something where you feel totally inadequate. It's nothing wrong. Or you do yourself well to humble your soul, abstain from food and seek God's favor, seek his protection, seek his hand through prayer and fasting. We do ourselves well to do that. That's why this is a discipline. This is something that we want to do in our lives. We want to humble our souls. And seek God's face in these certain situations. We see these were dire, serious situations. They realized, I, I can't just pray on this. I need to fast. I need to humble my soul and seek God. Seek God's hand. Seek God's mercy. Seek God's compassion. And ask him to intervene for my sake because I can't do this on my own. So we must fast in that manner, my brothers and sisters. Humble our souls like that. Another way that fasting was employed throughout the scripture, it was employed when a major decision had to be made. When a, when a major decision had to be made. An example was Acts 14, 23. If you guys remember last week, we talked about Lystra. Remember Lystra? Where Paul was stoned? Remember Paul? He, he was stoned in Lystra. Paul went forward and he went to other cities and sharing the gospel. And, he, and as he was going throughout those cities... Paul would ordain elders. And look what he said here in Acts 14, 23. It says, when they appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believe. Why does he say pray with fasting? The point that, that, that the scripture is showing us is that it wasn't as if these elders were just selected on a whim. It wasn't like they just said, oh, let's just take them, let's be elders. No, he said, they're praying and they're fasting on who they're choosing to be this elder. And so when they prayed and fasted, then they commended them to the Lord. So fasting here was, was employed when a major decision was being made. And the same thing with us. I remember when I was leaving my previous church, I've been there for so long. Youth ministry, me and my wife were, I was a deacon, she was a deaconess, youth ministry, um, all really involved all throughout the church. This was our life. We watched the kids grow up. But God had just worked in my spirit that it was time for me to step out. And that was, even to this day, that was the hardest decision of my life. And what I did in that case, 
I didn't just pray. I, I fasted. Cause I'm like, God, this is a big decision that right here. This is, I, I was telling Pastor Brian, um, a friend of mine, he says, Jerome, you are courageous. You're the only person I know that has left the black church. <laughs> and, and, and so, um, I mean, but like, this is a big deal. Like, this was my, ch- this is the church. This is where I spent all, and at this church, it wasn't just a Sunday, you know, twice. We're there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I mean, Saturday, twice sometimes. I mean, we're there a lot, Sunday nights. Um, this was our life. And now I'm leaving this? That was the scariest decision of my life. It was like Peter walking on the water. I'm like, God, you sure? You want me to do this? And I go tell my wife, they're going to start ministry in our house. That, that is just, I mean, that is a scary thought. And so I had to go to the Lord with prayer and fasting because that is a major decision I'm going to make. And so I would encourage you, my brothers and sisters, when you're about to make these decisions that are life-changing decisions, you don't want to just go in that lightly, but you want to humble your soul and, and really seek God's face, seek his hand in your decision-making So in our summary so far, we see that fasting has been used to humble ourselves, to focus on God, to focus on his goodness. In the Old Testament, it was focusing on the day of atonement, the high priest going in. For us, it's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. We fast to to seek God in that, to to see the glory of the gospel. Our fasting was was used or employed when seeking God's favor or protection. And fasting was also used when making decisions or major decisions. And then you have other places that we didn't go into. Again, this is not an exhaustive study because there's so many other places. But you have places like Jonah, right, where where fasting accompanied repentance from sin. Remember uh, Nineveh, when Jonah went and preached, he preached the good news to them. That was gospel, if you guys understand that. He was a type of Christ. He's preaching good news to them. that they God's wrath is going to turn for them, but they have to repent. And the leader, they they even put their their livestock in sackcloth. So everybody had sackcloth and and satin ashes. The king satin ashes because that was that accompanied mourning. When you were fasting and mourning, you would put on sackcloth and you would sit in ashes or put ashes on your head. And so we see that there in Jonah, fasting accompanied repentance for sin. So fasting has been employed all throughout the biblical history, Old and New Testament. But with all of this goodness that was done through fasting, all of this goodness that was done through fasting, Satan always tries to work his little finger in there and corrupt things. Why? Because Satan cannot create. Satan can only corrupt. God is the one that creates ex nihilo from nothing. Satan just corrupts what God does. You go look at sexuality. It's a good thing, but he goes and corrupts it and turns it into what we see happening in our society. So Satan goes in there and he begins to corrupt fasting or to bring about improper fasting. You can say Satan or maybe you can say sin. And and we see that worked out in Isaiah 58. My brother Anthony uh, read this scripture a couple of weeks ago, but let's go there. Isaiah 58. We see fasting getting corrupted are not being done in the right way, if you will. Isaiah 58. And Isaiah's going to beat the drum that you guys hear probably in every sermon from me. He beats his drum right here. Look at verse 3. He says, Why have we fasted? Or this is them, the people asking this question. Why have we fasted? And you do not see, God. <laughs> Why have we humbled ourselves? Remember what fasting did? It humbles our soul. So we see that's consistent. Why have we humbled ourselves? And you don't even notice, God. <laughs> he says, behold, on the day. Now here's the response. Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fence, fist. So, so what is God showing us here? You had the people of Israel 
They're doing that one thing that we constantly have done throughout American history. They're focusing on their vertical relationship with God. I am humbling my soul and focusing on you. But God is saying that is not the fast that I want. The fast that demonstrates you are really loving me and seeking me is show forth in how you treat your workers, how you treat other people. Because here they're focusing on their vertical, but their vertical relationship with God is not spilling over into their horizontal relationship with the people right in front of them. So God is saying, I don't want that type of fast. I, I, I don't want that type of praise. I don't, I don't want just the vertical, just you praising God, and it's not pouring forward in the way that you live. It's not pouring forward in the way that you treat others. I, I don't want just this horizontal, I go to church and I read my Bible, and that's it. No, I, I don't want that. I, I want a, a faith. A, I want your love to be demonstrated. Your love for me should be demonstrated in how you treat others. And he's showing us, like, no, you, you think that's a fast because you're just abstaining from food and you're not even doing the things that please me which is to seek um, or, or, which is to treat others right I don't want that type of fast look at the type of fast he says that he wants 6 and 7 he says it's not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness to undo the bands of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? He says, then will your light break out like the dawn. See, he said, it's not the vertical. I want to see your true fasting and how you treat others. It's so easy, my brothers and sisters, to just focus on the vertical, just to tell people something and just keep it moving. But we have to get our hands messy in the messiness of, of people's lives. People are broken and hurting. And we can't just go and just preach at them, but we actually go in and meet needs. I, I was wondering if I was going to say this now, but uh, I think I am. I'm going to go off tangent a little bit, but it relates to this. In the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? So we're called to be peacemakers. So I've been studying this word shalom, shalom makers, if you will. It comes from the Hebrew word means to, uh, to bring chaos into order, or it, it means wholeness, like a, a round circle was whole. They would consider that whole. A table would be shalom because it's round, it's perfectly whole. And so as peacemakers, as shalom makers, we don't just focus on the spiritual, but the whole person that's what it means to be a peacemaker. It's the shalom. It's wholeness. It's not just me speaking a spiritual message, but guess what? If this homeless person is hungry, I'm feeding them. If this homeless person doesn't have a job, I'm working on the resume. If this homeless person has healthcare issues, I'm helping you sign up for healthcare. It's a whole person change. It's not just a spiritual message. And so we have to understand that God is, he doesn't just want this vertical thing, but our vertical has to spill over into how we treat others. That's what he wants. So we see that corruption here with fasting. They thought if we just did this spiritual ritual acts, God will be pleasing God. But it's like, no, I'm not pleased with just your religious acts. Show me your true love and how you love other people. So we go from the corruption of Isaiah 58 or the improper use of fasting in Isaiah 58 to what Jesus is talking about today in our main text. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He tells us, or we get, or we see from the text, he says that whenever you fast, do not put on the gloomy face as the hypocrites do. So people at this time, historically, they were literally disfiguring their faces. Because remember, with fasting, you would get ashes sometimes. You would put it on your head or you would sit in it. So at the time of Jesus' day, fasting had got so corrupted by the religious establishment that people were actually dressing up their face or walking around looking sad so people would know that they were engaging in a pious act of fasting. That seems really extreme, doesn't it? That you're really finna go. Can you imagine that you're going and you're looking in the water or the mirror, whatever you have, and you're really changing your face, putting on some stuff so that when you go outside, everybody's going to say, oh, he's godly. Oh, he sure must love the Lord. Oh, look how he looks. And that is what's happening here in the text. That's why Jesus is telling his disciples, don't do that. Because that's what people were doing. They were really disfiguring their faces. And I know that seems a little extreme, that I would never go and do all that just to get attention from somebody else. But please tell me, 
if you when you're working at work and somebody else is doing the same job that you are doing and you they giving this other person all the compliments in the world and you don't hear any compliments from me from from them your soul feels it you know you feel that thing when you when your boss is, is complimenting somebody else and you're doing the same work or better and they're not saying nothing about you you want that praise you, you want that and sometimes we will go out our way to let people know how great of a job we're doing in certain areas why because we want that praise we want that compliment we want the glory and Jesus knows this. That's why he's telling the disciples, don't do this. Remember, Jesus knows all men. He knows what's inside of men. John 2, 24 and 25 says this, speaking about Jesus. For he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in men. So Jesus knew that his disciples, he knows the human body. He knew that 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 disfiguring their face and, and doing all these things for man attention, that it wasn't beneath disciples. It wasn't like something that, oh, they're so good that they would not do. He understood that that was not beneath them, that, that that is a real temptation that they face. And so he's telling them this to avoid that sin. It's not beneath us for us to do some type of strange act. We're all capable of using things that were meant for God and his glory for our own glory. And Jesus is telling his disciples, basically, you're capable of that as well. So even though it seems outrageous to paint your face and to go around showing and looking all sad, yes, you're capable of that, Mr. Disciple, Mr. Jerome. You're capable of doing things that are meant for God for your own glory. Like we have some people that may just love to quote scriptures in public so people can know that they know their Bible. Right. This is just I just I know the scripture. I just know it, especially in, in, if you go to a major church congregation. There's a lot of people and the pastors going to scripture. You, it's always that one person that just wants the people to wants people to know how much they know their Bible. And they're just throwing out scriptures. And it's not wrong with throwing out scriptures, but I'm talking about from a prideful sense. Or we may love to just carry around our Bible so people can know we're a spiritual person. Uh, I think about D.A. Carson. He he tells his story in his commentary on his text how he was at a college campus and um, um, uh, the, the, this college, I guess this Christian group, they decided to carry around their Bibles on campus. And they were like, the reason it was valid, I get it. They were like, well, people carry around their chemistry books, their algebra books, and their English books, so I'm going to carry around my Bible so people know I'm spiritual. And so they were carrying around their Bibles to, to let people know that they were spiritual and a witness to others. But Carson says over time he noticed that the Bibles just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Why? Because we want to use things that were meant for God. It's so easy to slip into the sin of self-glorification. It's so easy to slip into things that are prideful. It's so easy to do those things. And that is why our, our Lord is, is directing us here. Anytime we engage in fasting, or any type of spiritual discipline, our hearts and attention have to be directed towards God. So Jesus tells them to, to thwart off this sin of self-pride and self-glorification. Jesus tells them, as opposed to going with your religious culture and putting on the sackcloth and ashes, he tells them to you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret. He's telling them to go against their religious culture. That's the culture of the day. That's, that's the Pharisees of the day. That's the leaders. The leaders did this. Remember, the people follow the leaders. And so Jesus is now being countercultural and telling them to go against their culture, go against what they've known, and do this type of fasting instead. He's trying to thwart off sin he knows that temptation that is lingering right there. So he tells him, don't even put yourself in that situation. Just wash your face, anoint your head, and your father, he sees what you're doing. He will reward you for your acts of piety, for your acts of really approaching him through fasting and, and prayer. Now, this text also gives us another message, I believe. This text also tells us here, that in this life, there is going to be tribulations, trials, hardships, difficult circumstances, 
that will draw you to your knees in prayer and fasting. Why do I say that, even though it's not saying that in the text? Why? Because Jesus says whenever you fast, meaning he's assuming that that they are going to fast, And as we have looked at throughout the Old Testament scriptures, why did people fast historically? Because of trials and tribulations. Yes, they had their ritual type of fasting. The Jews fast two days a week on Monday and Thursday. So they had some of their ritualistic type fasting. But fasting as a whole, as we looked at, when we look at Esther, when we look at King David, when we look at Jehoshaphat, when we look at all the people in the Old Testament that would fast, it was because there was some type of trial, some type of tribulation, some type of major circumstances that they were going to be dealing with. And so that is what is assumed in this text. You're going to need to fast because you're going to have circumstances or trials in your life that it's going to cause you to fast, that you're not going to be able to just pray, but you're going to actually need to abstain from food and humble your soul. Why? Because this life is going to be tough. This life is going to bring circumstances where we feel like we're going out of our mind and we're going to have to go to our knees in prayer and fast, seeking God's face. Because this walk is going to be something difficult. Now, here's the ironic thing about Jesus' teaching here. The ironic thing is that he's teaching his disciples about fasting, but the truth of the matter is they really weren't going to be able to use these practices until later. Because they had the Messiah walking with them. And let me show you what I mean by that. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. This is John's disciples. They're coming to Jesus. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So one, how do they know that the disciples don't fast? Probably because they're not walking around with ashes on their face. They probably got clean faces like Jesus says. And they're doing the John's disciples and the Pharisees are probably doing the customary thing for you know that people are fasting. That's one thought. But he says, look what Jesus says here. And Jesus says to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast so they got the son of god walking next to him Remember what was fasting for it was for protection it was for guidance it was for difficult circumstances but remember they have the messiah walking right next to him jesus is keeping them he's feeding them he's protecting them he's watching them so there's no need for them to fast they have the bridegroom right with them but he says that when i leave then they will fast So Jesus is teaching his disciples about fasting when it's going to be implemented later when he goes to the Father to sit at his right hand. That is when they're really going to be, that's when the teaching that Jesus is teaching is really going to hit the road. It's when he's gone. That's when they're going to fast. Think about our own fasting here as, as, as men. I remember when Sister Debbie was having her surgery, the men of the church, we all fasted. That was a trial and tribulation. That's the point. It's through trials and tribulations. We were fasting. And I remember sitting in my job at my desk. And here's the thing about fasting, what it does, the, 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 the physical part of it. As you begin to feel hunger pains, those hunger pains are alerts to remind you why you're fasting and to keep your mind focused and praying on God. See, that's what fasting does. As, you, as you're fasting, you feel hungry, you, you remember. See, it, it basically, it keeps you in the presence of God because you feel those hunger in your stomach is growling. Then you remember, oh, I'm, I'm fasting for my sister. I'm wanting God's hand to move in this place or I'm fasting to get closer to the Lord. See, those hunger pains, when you're, when you're tasting and wanting that food that you smell, that reminds you of why you're doing what you're doing to keep you focused in the presence of God, praying and seeking his face. See, that's what fasting does. That's the beauty of it. It keeps you on point in seeking God. She feel that pain. She smell that good cooking that you know you want, but you're saying, nah, my soul is about to feast. My soul is going feast on God. God, it's you I want more. I want you more than at stake. I want you more than that thing over here. Jesus, I, I want you. I want your life living inside of me. Feed my soul with your truth. That is what fasting does. So my brothers and sisters, this is a discipline. 
that we need to implement in our life. Trials, tribulation, difficult decisions, things you got to do. Let's pray. Let's abstain from that thing, that food. Let's humble our souls and let's focus on the Lord of glory and let's seek his face because we realize even though we're not able, he's able. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for your instruction, your teaching, giving us the ways of truth, showing us ways that lead to life, practices that lead to more life, more of you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving this teaching, for inspiring Matthew to write it and to preserve it all these years so that we can read it today and be impacted to understand how to get closer to you. God, I pray that you allow this word to stay into my, the hearts and the minds of my brothers and sisters, Lord God, and where things that were not made clear, God, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, make it clear, and God, give them their own personal application, Lord, of this text as they go throughout their week. Lord, it's you we serve, it is you we praise. In your son Jesus' name, amen.